So what time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. So welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. How many people are in this room for this group for the first time tonight? Wow, a bunch of you. First of all, welcome. Second, let us warn you in advance, you'll able to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years, we take a look at the suggested instructions for a step or so a week, directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol, other substances, yeah? Yeah. So if you are New Freedom members, this group and the Saturday Night Recovery Church group, you're welcome to bring your family and they can be with you. I know we tell you that there's no visitation and things like that because of just the times we're in and how we do, but we do allow them to come visit and come to you with, with fellowship with you in the recovery meeting and at the recovery church. So if you didn't know that, you're being told that now, and we open the doors at 6.15 both days so that you can come in and spend a little time. Fair enough? And for those of you who come in from the public, if you don't know what we are, we're, we're a, a re-entry center and a recovery center for people that have, uh, have had some struggles and some interactions with law enforcement. And um, so anyway, I think that's all the housekeeping measures. So last week we took a look at the step one experience, uh, the experience of powerlessness and unmanageability. And we've roughly, if we were following along, we've roughly diagnosed ourselves as perhaps struggling with a, a disorder that's beyond our human control. Anybody with me and come to that conclusion and the rest of you are still researching? Good, <laughs> good, fair enough. So, so tonight we're gonna take a look at step two um, I like to point out to people the step two process through Alcoholics Anonymous. They're going to tell us their demographics. They're going to tell us about the encounter they had, how they recognized the encounter and the change that came over them, the, the tangible experience of a redemption as a result of this encounter. And, and so if you don't go to the book and read their witness and find out who they were, you might just hear some of the nonsense that we hear in our fellowships and, and it may turn you off or you may miss something. Um, so we're going we're gonna to have an encounter here tonight and so what I would say to you is, is um, in 12-step recovery when we speak of a spiritual experience we, we're talking to you about a, a tangible sensory experience. You'll feel it. And when you do, I'll know and I'll call it to your attention because we would teach you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of the power. Fair enough? Yes. And, and if you're wondering how my knowing your feeling something is proof of anything, well, perhaps it is not, but it, most of the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous that I've ever attended, they read a little portion of chapter 5, and they say, there's one who has all power, that one is. So most of you know that. So if... If that's true, if I can take that thing on faith, that there is one and that one has all power, if I know that you're feeling something, did we not share that one power? So all we're trying to do is call your attention to that experience, and then we'll just grow in that experience together at our own pace. Fair enough? Okay, 
So we're going to be in chapter 4, a little chapter called We Agnostics. And they're going to tell us about their demographics, they're going to tell us about their discovery, and then we'll see if we can relate to them in some way. Um, it says in the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. So the first three chapters we looked at last week, did you learn something of alcoholism? Learn something of addiction. Okay? It says, we hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Did they make clear that distinction? Did you pick it up last week? Yeah. We may have many similarities, but we have one thing absolutely in common. If we're alcoholic, we have an abnormal reaction when we put it in our body. The doctor said it may be a manifestation of an allergy. Any of you ever put substance in your body and found that you did more than you intended? So that... That's the one symptom we have in common if that continues to persist beyond my ability to stop that cycle. Make sense? So they're going to walk us back through. It says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, is that true for you? Yes. Stop and stay stopped. Yeah. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. Yeah. How many of you wouldn't know because you never tried to control the amount you take when drinking? So we just got to be clear in our own experience, but either one of the two, right? We're diagnosing now, and we're not diagnosing anyone else, we're diagnosing ourselves. So if it isn't true for you, you don't have to own it. Don't. Look at the other one. See what's up. And then it says, says if that be the case, you may be suffering from a oh, little control of the amount you take. You're probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So why do they think that? Because it's their experience, regardless of what they believed or who they thought they were, they found out that they could not cure a spiritual problem with anything less than a superior spiritual solution. And if you don't think your addiction was a spiritual problem, then why do you think they call alcohol spirits? It's the essence of what was. I need to be living in the essence of what is. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, to one who feels he's an atheist or an agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. So anybody here now or sometime in the past felt yourself atheist or agnostic? Okay, did the experience seem impossible? Thinking back? Because we're just acknowledging how we think, right? We're not try we don't want you to fake it till you make it. We don't want you to fit in. We want you to be honest with yourself what's happening. Because you cannot get well till you get honest with yourself about what's happening, right? Okay, so it says, but to continue as he is means disaster. How many of you concluded that? I ain't buying all that other bullshit, but if I don't get off this train, it's going to be a bad scene. Any of you been there? That's all it takes. Just an honest admission of where I'm at is not sustainable. Okay, so... It says, it says, especially if he's an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. How many of you have concluded you might be that guy? <laughs> to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. <laughs> Sean always laughs. Why is Sean laughing? <laughs> Think about how, what a silly choice that is. Happy, joyous, and free. Attic death. Pick one. 
So do you relate to it? Okay. So it does seem a little weird. We don't think we're insane, but that's a weird, that should be a no-brainer, right? Okay. So then it tells us, it's not so difficult, about half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. So of the first 100, about half were atheists or agnostics. Now, I want to emphasize the word were. They were. They're going to tell us in this paragraph they did not remain so because they were transformed because of the encounter they detail in this chapter. Okay? So then it says, at first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope that we were not true alcoholics. So how many of you just figured out you'd just go to meetings, not drink between the meetings? Not pick up no matter what? Go to 90 and 90. How many of you miscalculated a little? <laughs> Thought perhaps you'd overreacted. Okay, so we're not poking fun. We're just talking about some of the things we hear and then some of the things we experience, yes? Okay, all right. So, but after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Perhaps it's going to be that way with you. I want to point out to you the authors of this book had no urgency to convince you of anything. That was, that was alcohol's job. That was heroin's job, fentanyl's job, cocaine's job, methamphetamine's job. If you're not convinced, it's not our job to convince you. I'm just here to bear witness. That's all they t tell us. Yes? Okay. So then it says, cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Remember I promised you they didn't remain so? Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. So now they're telling you the difference between their thoughts and what they experienced. So if you think you're atheist or agnostic, that isn't going to disqualify you. Be honest about your experience and see what happens. Fair enough? Okay. So if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. So how many of you tried a better philosophy of life? code of morals. Any of you discover it was harder to keep them than it was to make them? Okay. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. How many of you really tried and still couldn't? Okay. There's another book. He said, oh, what a wretch am I. Anyway, well, I diverted. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. See, if I've admitted to powerlessness, then the only possible solution is power. Not some concept, some tangible expression of power greater than me. Yes? Okay. So it says our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. How many of you marshaled your will, and then they weren't sufficient? And then you return to active addiction, and then you said, I'm going to never again, not even a little cocaine holiday, Thanksgiving, nothing. Huh? And then another train wreck failed utterly, so they're talking about the progression they experienced. Do we relate to them? Okay. So it says lack of power, that was our dilemma. Who's, who are they talking about? They're talking about the first 100. Lack of power was their dilemma. You're jumping ahead, Lance. 
We're going to use, because tonight we're going to help everyone understand. In recovery, we're going to use the word God and the word power interchangeably because we're after power. We're not after a theology. I need power greater than myself to live. Right? And so that's what we're going to do here tonight. Okay? So it said we had to find a power by which we could live. How many of you had a power within you that wanted to live and you also had a power within you that wanted to die and you didn't know which one you were going to feed on any given day? Okay? All right, so, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. They put that in italics, and they say right after that, obviously. Why is that so obvious? How many of you really knew it was not safe for you to even do one? How many of you convinced yourself, I'm not going to do even one? How many of you said, perhaps I overreacted? (laughs) So... The same mind that wasn't going to do even one that had all that self-knowledge is the same one that took me out again and again and again. Yeah? Okay. Okay, so obviously, but where and how were we to find this power? Well, that would be the question, wouldn't it? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. So why do we do this week in and week out over years and years and years in this book? Because over the years... There's been a lot of deception, and once somebody's deceived, they carry on the deception, and pretty soon, nobody knows the power of the witness these people left us. So we want to focus you back on the program of recovery, not the fellowship of recovery, because if you've been struggling, we got a power that will cease your struggling. Okay? So it says, so this is exactly what this book is about. Its main object, the book's main object, is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So the, the thing you're going to find within yourself is not the book, but it's going to enable you to search within yourself to find the power. Make sense? And it's not only going to tell us where and how, but it's going to tell us how to recognize it going forward, Right? So that means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral, and it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. When I say God, you say power. You've got to be on top of this now. We're going to talk about God. Power. Very good. Very good. That's good. That's a good effect for the online people. They w- okay. Here difficulty arises with agnostics. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise when we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. Here's our fellowship. But his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God. How many of you know what you're talking about? You had a bad experience with people in the church or you don't get it and someone says God and you shut down. But never when someone says power, do you? So that's, we're trying to learn how to bear witness to power so that we don't confuse or cause prejudice to come up. But we don't lie about the tangible nature of the power, the source of it, or where we recognize it from. Yeah? Okay. So it says, a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. We, we know how he feels. We've, oh, I'm sorry. What did I do? I am right. Okay. Some of us have been violently anti-religious. Other words, God brought up a particular idea of him which was someone had tried to impress them during childhood. How many of you were injured by a church or church people? So first of all, for whatever church that you may be a part of, I will apologize to you uh, that you were hurt. 
Our churches are made up of people. In fact, the churches are the people. They're not the buildings. And, and people are, are frail and they're flawed and they sometimes hurt people, but not, not the, the power that inhabits the people that make up the church. He's not flawed and he doesn't want people hurt. Does it make sense? Okay, so perhaps we've rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. With that rejection, we imagine we had abandoned the God idea entirely. Very good. Some of you that are trying to keep up appreciate you. So, we were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. How many of you were bothered with the thought of declaring your reliance on something? Most of us at some point, right? Okay. We looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. We looked askance at many individuals who claimed to be godly. How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? Have you ever asked yourself such a question? Okay. And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? How many of you have found yourselves trying to comprehend a supreme being? Or trying to form a judgment about something that you see that seems misaligned. Okay, so what they're trying to do anytime in this book, I, gotta, I, I know some of you that come all the time and have been coming for years, you're like, he didn't do what he usually does. I know. The Spirit wouldn't let me tonight. I'm not just telling you. So we're going through it this way. These, these guys were, Bill Wilson, who wrote most of this book, was a stock analyst and, and read to the tunes of millions. And so by the time he got drunk enough to lose everything and he wasn't doing anything else, he still was a stock analyst at heart and at mind. And he wrote down a case, the famous atheist agnostic wrote down a case why it was more logical to believe than not to believe based on his experience. And he laid it out in precise order. And I tell you guys, don't change it, don't alter, don't deceive. And then the spirit says, Joe, you're changing, altering, deceiving. Take them through it the way I laid it out. So that's why we're doing it different than most of you have seen because I'm trying to be compliant. Okay. Yet in other moments, we found ourselves thinking when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? How many of you have seen something so inspiring in nature that it was almost like an out-of-body experience? How about those of you, because this is important when we get this, how many of you have been in a dangerous situation? Look at who I'm talking to. Right? Did you notice in that dangerous situation that time seemed to slow down? When that happened, you experienced your consciousness. It's another expression we use in here of this tangible power we call God. Where anyone here ever done anything athletic? Just wanted to do something athletic. <laughs> Thought yourself athletic. The perfect catch, the perfect dive, the perfect throw, the perfect shot, whatever it was. Did you notice that when you made it, there was no doubt on your part? You knew it. You saw it all the way. Where's my pool players? You've seen it. No matter how high you were, you could see every angle, right? Before you shot it. When that happened, you experienced your intuitive self. Does that make sense? So all these are tangible expressions of this power that we've had encounters with. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So then it says, 
We had, enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. So they're calling our attention to the awe-inspiring, the revelation, the, the something greater than me that's obviously revealing itself to me, and it's happening not only out there but within me. Yes? He says, yes, we have agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. So does everyone who's cared to, have you identified with some part of that that I laid out? Been in a dangerous spot, time seemed to slow down, any of those things. Okay, so yes, we have agnostic temperament have had those thoughts and experiences. Right? Okay. So let us make haste to reassure you, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power which is God. So now they've made it interchangeable. If you've ever had any of those experiences, you have encountered God. So it's no longer anything you have to take on faith. You just have to own the experience you've already had. That faith was already placed within you. Now we're just going to make you aware of who placed it there. Does that make sense? The same reason if you get hot, you'll go back, you'll change the thermostat in faith and then you go sit down rather than stand there and scream at it telling it you're hot <laughs> you already know how to act in faith and you know that you've, you've encountered this power they, they lay out a case for us to understand what we see, see feel direct and use yes? yes okay so and none of us can fully define or comprehend okay so much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Are you relieved? How many of you have heard other people's conception of God that disturbed you? God's not a concept anyway. God's an experience. None of us can fully define or comprehend. Right? Okay. All right, so our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and effect a contact with him. So if you can own that you've had that experience and take on a little bit of faith that that is the power we're calling God here in 12-step recovery, you're, you're on your way. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so, so then as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction Provided we took other simple steps. Possessed of. Flowing through me, but not of me. Possessed of. A new sense of power and direction. Provided I took other simple steps. What do you imagine those are? Well, I'm in step two. Lack of power is my dilemma. And they're about to suggest I make a decision. And the decision would be to follow through with 4 through 12 in their entirety. Therefore, if you can follow me, you just got a new sense of direction, didn't you? I'm going to learn the facts about me, and then I'm going to tell everybody about him. Okay? Wanted me to break out into a song? I'm just a nobody. Okay, so we found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit's broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It's open, we believe, to all men. When, therefore, we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of. They're interchangeable. If you're, if you're overly 
religious, don't, let, don't get your knickers in a knot. We're talking about a power. We're talking about a relationship. And we want you to understand the prejudices of your mind because of worldly experience have blocked you off from the power within you. If you're sitting here and you're hearing me and you're feeling me, it's not happening because of what I'm doing. It's happening in you. Okay? So, so it says, uh, this applies too to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. So don't ask me and don't ask anyone else. Ask yourself, what does that mean to me? Because if it doesn't make sense, then someone who does know, if you'll ask them, this doesn't make sense to me, how does it make sense to you? And I won't be able to tell you how it should make sense to you, but I can tell you how it makes sense to me, and maybe we'll share a revelation. Does it make sense? Because I'm not here to convince. I'm just here to bear witness. Okay? All right. So it says at the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth. Half of them atheists agnostics. God did not exist or God could not be proven to exist. But that didn't get in their way because they started growing spiritually and then they started getting informed in the spirit of what was really up versus what they thought was up. Does it make sense? Okay. So at the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. Now, that's been taught over the years, a God of my understanding. That is not what they said. They said, as we understood them. Who's we? The first 100. They, they're not asking you to come up with a God of your understanding. They've already told you none of us can fully, you know, we can't define or comprehend the power. We can experience the power. We can bear witness to the power. And we can share the power, but we can't define it. And it's not my understanding. It's his understanding through me which is all the steps always show you. The steps are in italics or in underlined. It says God as we understood him because the God I understood then is not the God I understand now because he's given me a greater understanding. Does that make sense? And you got to know who we is or it gets real mucked up. And they tell you, believe in a chair or a sock dame Oscar or a doorknob. Or... Anyway, sorry, God calling. I said, can't talk, text me. He said, chill. Oh. Okay. So when they talk about a conscious relation, they're talking about an awareness of being aware. It's not that I'm simply aware, but I'm aware that I'm aware. There's a power flowing through me that is not of me. How do I know? Because I've tried to summon it for something I wanted to do, and it wasn't there. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I checked it. I checked the evidence. Okay. All right. So... So it says, afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach. So how many of you had that experience? Didn't know what you believed for sure, and all of a sudden you started believing in something, and you started having all these experiences, and you realized that every lousy thing that ever happened to you all of a sudden started to make sense because there's a purpose for it. You can alleviate suffering for others to just owning who you've been. Right? Okay. So then it says, it says, that was growth, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere, so we used our own conception, however limited it was. So we don't stay at a conception, guys. We just use our own conception because God meets us where we are. But from there, we're expected to follow. Does that make sense? Not because it's a rule, because it's easier. Because whatever's going to happen is going to happen anyway. So if you're going in the right way, anyway. 
Any of you wish whatever was happening wasn't happening? Did it help? No, you struggled with how things ought to be versus how they were. Right? Okay. Let's say, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? And if you don't, I suggest to you you're wasting valuable high time sitting in these rooms. Because if you don't at least believe that heroin, methamphetamine, fentanyl, alcohol, whatever chased you in here is a power greater than you, we got nothing to talk about. Go forth and shoot heroin like a gentleman. There's a power. We're not talking about divinity right now. Am I willing to admit I'm whipped long enough to see if there's a redeemer? Okay. So it says, as soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he's on his way. How could they have so much emphasis? That's the story they're telling. This is the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So this is the first 100. They've seen it thousands of times. So you bet you they're emphatic. Same way I'm emphatic. I've seen it thousands of times. Those of you that are running around here today, how many, how many dozens of times do we see it here every day? Okay. So it says, it's been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. That was great news for us. How many of you liked great news? How many of you get a little, a little hit of hope? Somebody, somebody says, man, there is a solution even for a train wreck like you. Right? How do I know that? Because I are a train wreck like you. But I've been redeemed. I've been restored. Yeah? Okay. Um, it was great news to us, for we'd assume we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith which seemed difficult to believe. Did you think you had to buy the whole cow before you could have a hamburger? Sometimes we teach that, right? We, we teach it in the rooms and we teach it in the churches. And, then, and, we, and it's an absolute lie. We're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for honest people. We're looking for authentic people. We can work with that. Okay. All right, so when people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has? I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believes. If you get a picture in your mind of who that might be in your life, if I could believe like they do, I'd, I could get this. I want to suggest to you, if you can recognize it, you already have it. You're just asleep. We're, we just got to wake you up. That's why we're, we're seeking an awakening. Right? Okay. All right, but I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. Why? Because when we can see it clearly, we can explain it simply. And if we can't explain it simply, we don't understand it well enough. And once I understand that it's not even my understanding, there is nothing to understand. I just share the experience with you. It's above my pay grade. Right? I don't know how this is going to work. I just know who's going to work it. It's going to be cool. You'll see. So it was comforting to learn that we could commence at a simpler level. Besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Any of you ever found yourself handicapped by those things? I used to hear in the rooms years ago, I'm sensitive because I'm alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> 
You guys, who's been around a minute and heard that? We're not sensitive because we're alcoholic, but because of my alcoholism, my sensitivity is killing me. And so I'm going to have to outgrow sensitivity by growing in consciousness of who I really am and whose I am, and then I won't suffer from those sensitivities. Does it make sense? And then I won't find it so necessary to medicate in order to navigate. Any of the rest of you like to medicate to navigate? Okay. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. Any of you? We start talking about the spirit. You, where'd, where'd you feel that happening? Oh, really? We're going to look into that. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. So how many of you had some emotions and thoughts that troubled you? How many of you had a little trouble casting them aside? How many of you got taught in AA when that happens to turn your thoughts to another? Ask them how you can help them. How many of you noticed the storms went away? Because you always get power greater than yourself when you offer it to another. Kind of cool, isn't it? Somebody felt that. Who felt that? A whole bunch of you did. It's, the amp's still running. That's the power we call God. That didn't happen here. It's happening in you. Okay? Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we'd tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. Finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. How many of you have found your active addiction to be a tedious process? <laughs> These are masters of understatement, aren't they? We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. And of course, what we know now is I can't, I, I can share my experience, I can't prevent them from having theirs. For some, it's a very difficult process to watch, isn't it? But if I know who's in charge of the process, then I continue to bear witness in action and in word, and, and it'll be okay, right? Okay. So the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. So they, they know we're still going, hey, all this sounds great, but why me? Okay. We think there are good reasons. Let's have a look at some of them. So now they're going to make the case. This is Bill Wilson making the case why it's more logical to believe than not to believe based on the experience. Coming from the position of a devout atheist turned agnostic, which he never really shook his agnosticism, which most of us, whether we claim to be believers or not, we never really fully shake our agnosticism. We walk in a little bit of doubt. Yes? Where's my believers? Okay. All right. All right. So, so um, says the practical individual today is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they're firmly grounded in facts. So you scientific minds, you, you accept the electrical theories thing, even though we can't fully define or comprehend electrical theory, the greatest scientific minds, that's why they still call it a theory, otherwise they'd call it an electrical fact. Right? Okay. All right, so we have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Oh, my God, they're going to talk about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? They've got a question mark. Why do you believe in electrical theory? Why do you believe in electricity? Because you've experienced its effects. 
That's how we come to believe. We experience its effects. They're calling our attention to the fact that nobody expects you to believe in anything that you haven't experienced the effects of. It's a pretty logical case, don't you think? Let's read further. <laughs> Simply because it's impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there's good evidence but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? They ask a question. Does not science demonstrate that? Especially in the digital age, right? Visual proof's the weakest proof because anyone can doctor an image. Yes? Okay. It's being constantly revealed as man mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. So that's obvious. We know that what I see is not necessarily what's happening chemically or electrically or physically in some fashion, yes? Okay. The prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence, right there our perverse streak comes out to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. So do you look at that wall and see a wall knowing intellectually that it's really whirling, massive electrons whirling around at incredible speed? Or do you even give it any thought? The human body is, what, 97% water? How many of you tried to stack water? <laughs> so what we believe and what we know, but what we see eludes us, yes? In fact, quantum theory would suggest that we're not separate at all. How many of you are scientists in that? We're not, a, this is an illusion. There's no separation. No? We don't know? Fuck, he's getting weird, right? <laughs> so then it says right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. I wanted to see how much of that battle you had going on. Not for, not for my benefit, for yours. See if you're, we're with them, because rarely we've seen a person fail as thoroughly follow our path, right? Okay. All right, so, so we read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Any of you ever? Because half of them did, okay? Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end of all, rather vain of us, wasn't it? So they asked the question. We can't just leave it there. Do you understand what they're talking about? Yeah. A spearhead is the driving force. So instead of regarding myself as the driving force of God's love, God's power on earth, I choose to regard my human intelligence as that power, in spite of the evidence that that would not be a good conclusion. Some of you had a similar outcome. Okay. 
So they said the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning to the end. So let's test the theory, because we want to know if it's vain of us to think that we are the Alpha and the Omega. How many of you got here on this planet in this realm without any other human interaction? Or were there some people who conspired without consulting you to create whatever else eventually became you? In other words, do you have parents? Did they consult you prior to conception? So you, there went the alpha ship. I know nothing of the beginning. Okay, let's test the end. How many of you in your addiction, in whatever happened, many of you have had rough histories, how many of you have seen your friends die in the very same activities you were in? How many of you have wondered why not you from time to time? How many of you wanted it to be you from time to time? And yet you're still here. So there went Omega. How many of you used like me and don't remember like decades? I'm not the Alpha, I'm not the Omega, and I can't remember most of the shit in the middle. So that would be rather vain of me, wouldn't it? Okay, so now are we with them? Because we need to get with them because rarely we've seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. All right. So, then it says, we who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice even against organized religion. So, that's what, just lay it down because we're going to have to get, find out what, what the fundamental truths are and then walk in the truth. And we don't have to get caught in theologies, but we do want to start getting honest in our experience and we may want to compare it with experiences we've had. Yeah? Okay. So we've learned that whatever the human frailties of the various faiths may be, these faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. So how many of you have bounced in and out of recovery a time or two? How many of you noticed there was some, uh, usually somebody there that you knew from before and they were still at the door shaking your hand, welcoming you back? How about in church? Same thing. Any of you had an experience like that in church? Maybe you had it in both? And, and you... Okay, so what I observed over time when that kept happening for me is they, they had connected to something that I had missed. Does it make sense? It wasn't so much the teaching... But something was keeping them anchored when I had a little magician in me. Any of you know how to disappear? <laughs> okay. All right. So instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a wholesale basis of, or a basis of wholesale condemnation. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. So how many of you have found yourself doing that? My friend Tracy and I did it today. Sitting around talking about how negative people are. That's the most negative thing a guy can do, is talk about how negative people are. <laughs> and disowning it. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. So how many of you just dismissed it because it just didn't seem relevant? So in our personal stories, you'll find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. 
Whether we agree on a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that these are matters about which for our purpose we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. So, so you, if you can own the experience you're having, then the spirit within you will inform you all you need to know about the power and the identity and everything you need to know. Fair enough? You don't need to hear it from me because the Alpha and the Omega will explain it to you. Okay? All right. So on one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. First 100, telling the story of the first several thousand, you got to get this part. Half of them atheists are agnostic, but they come in agreement in this common solution they talked about in another chapter. Yes? Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than themselves. Gained access to and believes in. Notice they came in that act, gained access to and believes in. I saw, I felt, then I believed. Does that make sense? Okay. This power has, in each case, accomplished the miraculous. How many of you were pretty deep in your addiction? How many of you were deep in behavioral disorders that caused you issues? How many of you are now on new soil? How many of you can see? What did you have to do with that, or did it just appear for you? It's like one day, it's different, right? Okay. All right. The power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women worldly indeed. So they're talking now about the people, not, not only the people telling the story, but the people they're telling the story about. Okay? It says, they flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. How many of you, last time you were just at a meeting and someone came up to the podium and just flatly declared that I encountered power, I was a dead man, and I encountered power and I've never been the same. And all I did was the suggestions of a bunch of drunks. They told me to get to know who I really was versus who I thought I was. And then once I get that, go make amends for harms done. And in that process, my ego would reduce and I'd get to be able to tell the more difficult parts of my story and I'd see people dying in their addiction get hope from the fact that I'd been raised from mine. So, that's how simple it is. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. How many of you have had a similar experience? So we're not believing in concepts, are we? We believe in power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. Not because someone told us to believe, because we've experienced it, right? This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. What are the requirements? Trust God, clean house, work with others. Not hard, is it? Okay. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making such a heavy going of life. 
Leaving aside the drink problem or question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. They said, I didn't have a drinking problem so much as I had a living problem. And, and drinking made it easier for me to tolerate you in my living problem. No? Maybe I have it reversed. Maybe drinking made it easier for you to tolerate me. I don't know. Remember, I told you I judge people for being negative. Um, <laughs> Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. They show how the change came over them. So these words are showing precisely <coughs> what they thought, what I was like, what happened. They had this encounter and what I'm like now. And they show how the change came over them. <coughs> Wait a minute. <coughs> Something's happening. All right. <coughs> Holy cow. <coughs> Sorry. When many hundreds of <coughs> this is going to take a minute. It's not COVID. I'm triple vaccinated. They show how the change came over them when many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important factor of their lives. They present a powerful reason why one should have faith. See, if we're witnessing from the podiums that... My awareness of being aware of God's presence in and on my life is the most important fact of my life. In fact, it's the only way I know who you are, because the minute we start talking about it, we both feel the presence on us. Right? Okay. So this world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. Yet in ancient times, <coughs> material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some thought the contemporaries of Columbus, or some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought around Earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. So Galileo knew that the earth was not the center of the universe, that the, it, we're a sun-centered universe and we're revolving. you got to wonder how he knew. <coughs> you know. Yeah. Because we didn't have pictures like we do now that sort of give us the, you know, right? So they were doing things with scientific inquiry that were thought blasphemous and they'd get put to death for it if they were too loud. And we do the same thing in our rooms and our fellowships and when people talk to us about spiritual matters, well, <clears throat> we're afraid they're going to put us to death. They're going to silence us so we don't say anything. We don't tell the truth of God's miracles in our lives. And I, I would suggest to you that's a bad policy. We make no bones about whose house this is. All right? And we, everyone's welcome here because he's welcome here. Because he resides here, everyone's welcome here. We don't care what you believe. Come and experience it. Sit at the table. Okay. So we ask ourselves this. Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print a full account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? So there's the question. Think about being a right brother, and everyone's telling you, everyone's failed. Who do you think you are, bicycle mechanic? 
Every tweaker's a bicycle mechanic. <laughs> that ain't nothing special. Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? All these questions. Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story, and airplane travel was in full swing. So that's a lot of history. We read past it. We don't think of the gravity of what they're saying. You know, all of us at some point in our lives are going to be asked to step into something that we've never seen before and asked to do something that's never been done before, and you won't do that if you don't have vision and faith. <clears throat> yeah? So, but in, in most fields, our generation has witnessed... i got to do some more water. Sorry about that. <coughs> Complete liberation of our thinking. Show any longshoreman a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket, and he'll say, I bet they do it, maybe not so long either. Is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something which does? So we know that today. I mean, you got a cell phone. You bought it a week ago. The damn thing's out of date in a month. <laughs> Same with computer, right? We know this. It's accelerated. We ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view so in one, I copped to unmanageability, but I didn't know what it was. That was my first act of faith. Because what I was seeing looked a little unmanageable. But the unmanageability wasn't out there. What was out there was reflecting what was going on within me. Let's see if we can own this unmanageability. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. Anybody? How many had so much trouble with personal relationships you decided that you're just going to isolate away from people? How many of you still had trouble with personal relationships? <laughs> so they told us the main problem centered in the mind, right? We can isolate all we want, but we're still living with the demons. Yes? Okay. We couldn't control our emotional natures. How many of you had that happen? We were prey to misery and depression. Couldn't make a living, had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear, we were unhappy, couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Notice the word they use, real help. How many of you always wanted to be a helper? But how many of you noticed your help wasn't always appreciated? <laughs> See, to be of real help to people, first they have to solicit the help, and second, they're usually going to give me a condition of the help they want, and if I'm not willing to deliver it, then I owe them honesty, not a bullshit story of... Does that make sense? So to be of real help to people, I just, I got to be real. I got to be authentic. Got to be courageous. I got to wield the truth balanced with grace. Yes? Okay. Okay. So <clears throat> was not a basic solution to these bedevilments more important than whether we could see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. Who gives a shit about newsreels of lunar flight, especially now, right? When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance on the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. They're not asking you to doubt, stop doubting people or churches or religions. They're asking you to stop doubting the power of God, which you've experienced over and over again in your life. Yes? And then it says, our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. 
The Wright brothers' almost childish faith that they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment. It wasn't, it wasn't their intellect. It wasn't their skills. It was their childlike faith was the mainspring of their accomplishment. The same reason you're sitting in a reentry center. People asked me one time, I had a guy come in, he was an analyst for behavioral health CEOs from another part of the country. And he came in with somebody that was important to me. And he says, what makes you qualified to be the CEO of a place like this? I said, absolutely nothing. Because I am qualified by identity, not accomplishment. Argue that one for me, right? It is because of whose I am. And who you are. Guys, I'm going to stop there. We have a control problem, not a drug problem. And we have a, we're being proposed a faith solution. And if you can just believe that what these guys witnessed, that that little experience, that encounter, whatever you felt in here tonight, that can be improved upon and direct you into a better manner of living by simply turning your thoughts to others. If you can just grasp that, we emphatically assure you that you're on your way. All right.